Ford, uh, with your permission, I'm recording, talking with uh, Springfield Police Chief Kenny Winslow. Uh, Chief, thanks for taking the time, especially on 9-11. I know this is a really uh, important and meaningful day for uh, for first responders. Uh, and uh, obviously, uh, a lot of focus still on policing in our community and around the country. Wanted to get your reaction to uh, the ordinance that is apparently going to be coming forward in the next few days from uh, Alderman Turner, Alderman Gregory, uh, related to uh, police uh, procedures, etc., I don't know how much you've seen of the the draft ordinance yet, but your your thoughts on it? Yeah, I've seen part of it, uh, the major parts, I guess I should say. And obviously, I haven't seen the final draft or the final copy yet, and I think it's still a work in progress. And I've had some conversations with uh, Alderman Turner. Uh, I haven't spoke to Alderman Gregory, but I have spoke to Alderman Turner about uh, some of it. And I, I don't think we're that far apart. I think it's just a matter of sitting down and uh, having a conversation, making sure we're all on the same page as far as intent. And, you know, making sure that we, we do stuff that's going to be beneficial to our community as well as our department and profession. Um, you know, I've said all along that, you know, as law enforcement that we're not opposed to change as long as that change is evidence-based and it's best practices and, and it's going to make be, make improvements. So, um, you know, there's some things, obviously, I'm sure there are some differences. You know, we, we sent the alderman, you know, a couple of weeks ago now almost, uh, uh, what we're calling our pledge to professionalism, and we've met with some different groups and community members throughout the last couple of weeks discussing and uh, have a few more meetings planned here soon to discuss uh, some of the things that we had for updated general orders that we put out. And uh, we didn't go public with it initially because we were just trying to get input and feedback, uh, but we have put that out, and it's on our website to direct people to it in case they have questions, you know. A lot of things that are being recommended at the federal level, the state level, and even now the local level, we already do. So it's not that uh, uh, big of an issue for us. But again, you know, when we look around our country and we see what's going on as we debrief some of these critical stress incidents and these tragedies, we realize that not everybody uh, uh, is on the same page. So that's kind of what, you know, brought us to that document that we shared and I believe I sent it to you yesterday, we kind of shared was that, you know, when we look around the country, it, it, we, there needs to be some standard, some standardization amongst use of force, in my opinion. So that's what we're trying to do, you know, some standardization and use of force policy and train, that kind of thing. So we're all on the same page because we see some of these incidents and we kind of cringe as well. And, you know, you try to learn from those incidents and you debrief them not to assess blame, but to learn from it. So if an officer is in a similar situation that they have already kind of ran that through their head, they know what options are available and you kind of think your way through it, that's a form of training. And that's really what we try to do on these situations. You mentioned that uh, a lot of what's being talked about is already part of the, the standard operating procedure for, for Springfield police. And Alderwoman Turner said the, the same thing, although she said she would like to see it codified rather than just be, you know, a general order that can be changed at, at some point. Uh, is there anything in either the ordinance or in the, the pledged professionalism that the department's put together that represents a significant change in how Springfield police have done things uh, up until this summer? Well, you know, we, when we were meeting after this happened, when we were meeting, there were some things that we made, you know, I'll say, uh, like our duty to intervene. Uh, that's nothing new. There's actually been, you know, Supreme ca uh, Court case law on that for years, and we've been under our neglect of duty um, rule. But we decided to bring that out and make it stand on its own and make it more prominent in our general orders. Uh, you know, we put out a legal notice on that to uh, our officers and trained on it a little bit more uh, out of concern that was aware that were raised to us by 
certain citizens. And so that, that's, that's one change there. And, and Chief, uh, can I just clarify on that? When you say a duty to intervene, are you talking about rendering aid to a, a suspect who may be in some medical distress? What, is, what does that refer to? No, when you're talking about the medical distress, that's been in our policy for quite a while. What I'm talking about is you have an officer who uh, witnesses an, a, uh, another officer uh, violating somebody's constitutional rights, whether that's excessive force or some other format. Uh, they have a duty to intervene to stop that behavior if it's safe and feasible to do so. And they also have a duty to report that to their supervisor immediately. And, you know, we had, we've had that in play for quite some time, but just not as prominent. It was just always part of our neglective duty uh, rule, where basically before it said something to the effect of that officers shall take the appropriate action on any uh, situation uh, that, re- that requires police uh, action or conduct. So, again, it was just making that stand out more on its own and then training on it a little bit more so the officers know these are our expectations. And we saw that play out in the Rosario incident. You know, that incident was reported to us by another officer, and we've got numerous other uh, issues over the years where officers have stepped forward and reported misconduct on officers. Or, and so we, we've dealt with that. So I don't think that's really anything new for us. It's just a way that we now have made it a standalone. Chief, there were there were a couple of things in the uh, ordinance that Alderwoman Turner requested that I want to ask you about, uh, and time's a little bit yep. limited here. But um, one had to do with banning the use of tear gas, pepper spray, uh, other things against uh, groups of individuals unless used in conjunction with an emergency order issued by the mayor. Uh, is that a practical uh, standard to apply? Uh, is, is that something that is feasible if you have a, a crowd that starts to get unruly? Well, that's something we're going to have to have a conversation. That's one of the things that we need to talk about. Um, officers have to have the ability to, to respond to a dynamic and rapidly evolving situation. And you may not have time in those circumstances in order to protect life and property uh, to call and ask the mayor for permission or an executive order. We can't tie the hands of our law enforcement experts at that, you know, and that's where it comes back. I think we just need to talk about that and find out what the real intent there is. If the intent is to say something, you know, that, you know, you shall not use that on peaceful protesters, okay, I think that changes the whole sentence there, and then we, I think we're all good on the same page there. So we just need to talk about it because we're oftentimes called to break up those type of situations that I said earlier, whether that's at a block party, whether that is the same incident we had downtown with the wet bar, you know, the homicide at the wet bar a few weeks ago where the crowd was encroaching and uh, disobeying and being uh, verbally noncompliant, encroaching on the crime scene, et cetera. And we had to, you know, use OC and their pepper spray down there. So we can't limit our officers' ability to use the tools and options that are needed. What people need to remember is when you limit the use of less lethal force, you take away options from officers, and then they have to revert to other options that may be um, more lethal or they may be uh, appear to be more excessive. You know, I would much rather mace somebody than have to baton somebody. Uh, you know, again, when you you uh, limit these options, what you could have is an increased use of force. Uh, to try to attain the same goal there, which is keep somebody back out of a crime scene and allow people to do their job and render aid to somebody. Another so, uh, bullet point on the Alderwoman's uh, proposal was that Springfield police will not request a no-knock warrant. Now, I'm not exactly sure of the process here in, in that, but to say Springfield police won't request that, uh, it, does that hinder your ability to, to do your job in certain situations? Absolutely, it would. And I think that's another one that we have to have a conversation about. I think there's a misconception about what a no-knock search warrant is out there. Uh, I know through our conversations with community members, there's an impression or a perception out there that 
uh, it's just the police kicking in the door in, in the middle of the night and coming into somebody's house, and then you know somebody doesn't know if they're being attacked or whatever. Really, what that situation is is that there's an announce process that goes along with it. You, the difference between a no knock and a knock is that basically knock, you have to wait a reasonable amount of time for somebody to come to the door, where on a no-knock, the idea is to flood the situation and take the person into custody prior to them getting the ability to uh, respond to your actions. But it does come with an announcement. You know, as you go in, it's Springfield Police, Springfield Police, search warrant, search warrant, you know. You're announcing the whole time loud and clear, giving commands. Um, you know, and I know that a lot of that's based on what happened down in Louisville and the Breonna Taylor situation, and I can't say what exactly happened down there, but it sounds like that there was a... Uh, uh, some lapses in maybe some decision making, some training, et cetera. At the Springfield Police Department and in the state of Illinois, there's already um, additional requirements to obtain those no knock search warrants at the judiciary level. And then additionally, on top of that, we have in our policy additional oversight that uh, if a no knock warrant is obtained, uh, it, the commanding officer makes the decision on when, where, and how to serve it. Uh, so, you know, you have to have those kind of things there. So, Again, I don't know exactly what happened down there, but it sounds like there was a failure in the system down there when they were trying to execute that warrant. Chief, so last, uh, last your, uh, no, I'm sorry, go ahead. Just to answer your question, we would still want to obtain and keep that right to seek no-knock warrants under limited circumstances because you only want to use those for your most dangerous situations, and that's where we would need it. If we were, we've used them you know, when we were searching for a homicide suspect, uh, uh, somebody who is in a house that maybe has two or three other people in the house at the same time. So. You need that tool in your toolbox when it's needed. But, again, we have additional oversight already in place. I think we just need to educate people on what we already do there. And I think we can come to some agreement. I don't think we're too far apart on that. Chief, uh, last question. With the, the things you've already implemented through the uh, the, the pledge uh, to professionalism, uh, some of what's being talked about here, uh, do you have a, and do you expect to have buy-in from your officers? I, I have seen this morning reference to a social media post from someone apparently uh, a Springfield officer uh, commenting on this notion of not being able to use uh, tear gas or, or pepper spray uh, to disperse crowds and suggesting then then, then they're going to wind up getting uh, hit with batons instead. Uh, are officers in any way resistant to what's being talked about here, either by you or by the, the city council? Well, if you read my pledge, we don't have anything there that bans the use of any of those tools you were talking about. And like I said earlier, when you take away options to officers, you want them to have more options, as many options available for less lethal, so it doesn't revert to a lethal confrontation. And so you have to be very, very careful when you're limiting the options that officers have out there. You know, whether that's you know pepper spray, a taser, et cetera. You know, I remember when we first got tasers, it was kind of controversial. We had to have a, you know, we had several community discussions, we had council discussions about them. Uh, then when everybody looks at Laquan McDonald incident, and they're like. Why didn't they use a taser? You know, uh, so again, you know, there's been an acceptance now to tasers as times went on. Uh, but you want officers to have the appropriate tools to be able to handle the situation so they don't have to revert to lethal force, you know. And we've had, uh, you know, several incidents over the years and, you know, three very recent incidents where, you know, we've been able to de-escalate situations. And that goes back to training. That goes back to options and tools that you have. Um, you know, I mean, um, you look at the Laquan McDonald incident, I'm like, well, you, you could have tased him. You could have beanbagged him. You could have done all kinds of things. You could have hit him with a sage. Uh, but, you know, those tools weren't available to those officers on scene, and we saw what happened. And so you want to make sure that your officers have the tools available, you know. And some of the things that are listed in here, like rubber bullets, we don't use. We haven't used them for a long time because of the uh, accuracy and the uh, 
ricochet issues that come with that. Uh, we don't use stun grenades, you know, that kind of thing. So I think a lot of this is taken from, you know, what we're seeing across the country. And I always say what happens in one part of the country affects law enforcement everywhere. So, again, I think uh, when the alderman, you know, I've, I spoke to Alderman Turner, talked about us getting together and trying to make sure that we're all on the same page and have those conversations. Uh, I think she's uh, amenable to that. We talked. She said that she's willing to do that. I think when it's all said and done, we'll come to something that is agreeable uh, for everybody to move the community forward, to move the department forward. But again, you know, uh, I, we just need to have a conversation about what we do, what we don't do. You know, the whole neck restraint chokeholds, I've been here 26 years and we've never chained on chokeholds or neck restraints. Uh, they're allowed in a deadly force encounter when basically anything's a game to protect your life or somebody else's life. So, uh, you know, that's just one of those things that a lot of times I don't think people realize what we do and what we've been doing, you know. So, Again, as education, that was part of the reason we did the pledge, because as we were talking to community groups, we were realizing a lot of people don't understand what we do or how we train already. Uh, though people don't realize that the Springfield, Illinois Police Department was, I believe, one of the first departments in the state to bring CIT to the state of Illinois. And that came out of a tragedy here in our own hometown. Uh, you know, so, you know, we went to Memphis, we adopted that model, we brought that model back, and now it's been adopted as a statewide model. Uh, we've been teaching, teaching de-escalation for years. Um, you know, our officers have had access to gas going back to the early 2000s, you know, uh, our emergency response team and our weapons of mass destruction team, as well as our mobile field force team serve as the only law enforcement alarm systems regional teams, and they're trained to the highest level. Our officers have been placed in high tense situations. We've done crowd protests at NATO, the G8, the Democratic National Convention, uh, other protests, numerous and, uh, you know, we've always handled those situations professionally. And our teams, as well as being part of ILEAS, is seen as a model for the entire country. But sometimes in Illinois, in our own backyard, we don't realize how progressive law enforcement is in the state of Illinois or here in the city of Springfield. Hey, Chief, listen, I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much. Thank you, sir. Have a good day. Take care.